0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful week. I know when this episode airs, I've already celebrated my birthday. So I have turned 40 years old, so I'm definitely becoming an old man, if you can't tell by the gray in my beard. For those of you who are watching this on YouTube, Uh, but for those of you listening Hopefully you still see me as a young man, but anyway, I am joined with my fellow colleague, uh, Micah Current. Micah, welcome back to the show.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Scott, and happy birthday. I mean, by the time this drops, it hasn't happened yet, but um,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> birthday wishes nonetheless. And uh, Thank you. it's it's good to be back. And uh, you better get signed up for that colonoscopy.
0: Oh my! Oh, that, <sighs> I see my doctor in October, so I still have a couple more months. But yeah, I'm definitely not excited about that. at all. Well,
1: there's a guy I work with at Miami, uh, where I work my secular job and he's just turned 45 and he just signed up for his first one. Uh, okay. So I think he yeah. got a couple of years, but you said 40 and made me think of that.
0: Well, I know before it used to be 50 and then they dropped it down to 40, which I guess, you know, you want to try to detect any of that stuff if you do have any type of prostate or colon cancer. So I think that's good. Uh, but anyway, we're not talking about my health. We're talking about this article that <laughs> dropped. We're going to talk about this article that dropped. Uh, it was very interesting. Micah, you happened to come across it and shared it with me, and I thought it was a good thing to discuss. But the name of this article, it's from uh, Crosswalk.com. It's called 10 Things You Should Never Say to Your Pastor. And even just the title of that, I was just like, oh, man. What type of um what type of things are we going to step into today? Uh, but I want to kind of read the intro. This is written by Joe McKeever. And reading this, I don't know if Joe is a pastor or if he knows a lot of pastors who have had these things say to him, because I'm reading the intro to this and he seems very uh snarky with this. And I think the whole article is kind of snarky a bit. So let me let me open up this this um, conversation with this opening to these 10 things you should never say to your pastor. Uh, Joe writes, listening to the gripes of the Lord's people is standard fare for ministers. They ought to teach courses on it in seminary. Someone please tell the newly ordained to get ready. The primary nerve center for griping and complaining in the church house has always been the carnal and the worldly. These into two groups of people, the unsaved, represented by the infamous mixed multitude of unbelievers and hanger-ons who went up from Egypt with Moses and Israel, and the unspiritual. The latter group is saved, but has taken a seat just inside the front gate and gone no deeper in the spiritual thing. We all have our list of pet peeves and lives. We pastors have our list of expressions people use to manipulate others so they can get their way. Here is my personal list of the worst things I've heard said in church. Okay, so right off the bat... <laughs> He's, he's saying the people who gripe and complain are either non-Christians or the unspiritual. So right there, I'm like, man, this guy's ready to go to town. So what were your thoughts? What were your takeaways with just the opening to this um, this top 10 list, Micah?
1: I, I was thinking about the Pharisees.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and the accusers in the New Testament, um, especially with, specifically with Jesus in the temple. Um when or even when Jesus was in his ministry accusing, you know, when people were accusing Jesus of um, you know, heresy or or whatever it is when he was out teaching and performing miracles and they were questioning him and why he was doing things, or even John the Baptist for that matter. I think John the Baptist kind of went through some of the similar, similar things that Jesus did in his early ministry. And um yeah, I was sitting at a church yesterday that I was consulting with and I thought about this and I'm like, man. People, I've said this openly before, but people have no idea what pastors go through and pastoral staff and leaders go through as far as trying to make um, decisions for their flock and, you know, trying to make the right decisions in some of the most messiest of circumstances and trying to do that with love and grace. Um, It's just a hard thing to do. And so um, it's interesting that somebody wrote this article and you know, they may not be a church goer. They may not be a Christ follower. So Mm -hmm. um, immediately, Scott, I thought of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and (laughs) the the accusers. And my mom, well, she was still alive. She used to say, you not cast the first stone. (laughs) So she quoted that scripture a lot. So those are my initial thoughts. What did you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, he says these are the things he has heard. So I, it's kind of like, um, So obviously this is either a pastor who probably meets with other pastors and things, or this could be just somebody who has heard these things said to their own pastor Mm -hmm. as a church member, church goer. And they're just kind of like, oh, or like, again, you know, we're not sure about this person's faith. This could be someone who could be sitting in a restaurant Sunday morning and hear the church crowd talking about about their pastors and just kind of hearing these things over and over again, why he's having a steak for Sunday brunch. So Yeah, so let's just go ahead and dive right in. I don't think they're in particular order, but just kind of looking. I'll go ahead and um, I'll read the first one because it's odd, and Micah's going to take the even ones. But the (laughs) first one that um, he says, 10 things you should never say to your pastor is this, the pastor is not meeting my needs. So Micah, the pastor is not meeting my needs. What are your initial thoughts on that statement? (laughs) (laughs)
1: what needs (laughs) you know what what needs like that i mean being serious when i say that like you know there there are different needs that people have uh spiritual needs physical needs uh needs of financial assistance needs of you know just interaction communication you know like uh we're not getting into like a whole conversation about like love languages or anything like that. But some people like, you know, might growing up in a pastor's home, uh, I need to clarify, you know, physical touch, right. Maybe you didn't shake so-and-so's hand or Mm -hmm. maybe you didn't, you know, verbally address somebody when you walked into the sanctuary and you're getting ready to walk onto the platform to preach. Like, you know what I mean? Like the, I guess the question, but the question, what's, what needs, right? So like, I guess, What do you think? Like, I mean, I, I just yeah,
0: I mean, I think I think you're on to like what are the needs specifically? Because people always say, Well, the pastor's not meeting my needs, but they never specify what those needs are. Um, I actually had a buddy who there's a guy at his church who left the church because um my pastor friend never sh- didn't shake his hand on a Sunday. Mm. And to me, it was like when and I heard this from him, he goes, Well, he said I was confused because. At the time, we just had a new visitor, and I was talking with this new visitor and telling him about the church, telling him about all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm leaving this other member. I'm leaving the church because you didn't shake my hand. And part of me goes, well, when you make a statement like that and something like not shaking someone's hand on a Sunday, and that's your reason of the pastor not meeting your needs, I feel like there's something a lot more deeper than that. That's going on, and not necessarily something that is on the pastor's side, but I think something that's more of the person who's making this statement or believes this, because there's some type of void in their life where they just feel like, well, if the pastor isn't, it's almost like people have a specific view of what their pastor should do, and that's different for everybody. Some people want a pastor that goes out to lunch with them on a Sunday morning. So when the pastor says, sorry, I can't go out to lunch because I'm having, because I have a three-year-old and I'm got to take care of his needs and mm-hmm. eat with my family and get him down for a nap. And it's like, people get offended over that. And yeah. It's like,
1: I, yeah. No, I was going to add to no, that. And like, I
0: think, I think a lot of times it's always, we're, it's always one-sided. So it's like, how is the pastor meeting my needs, but we never really see, you know, what are the needs of the pastor yeah. and how are our, and how our people, the congregation meeting the needs of the pastor, you know, what are the past? Cause every pastor comes with their strengths and weaknesses. So if you know that there's a weakness of a pastor, or if you know, Hey, this pastor has young children, probably not going to go and going to go out to lunch with you on a Sunday, maybe he'll go out to dinner with you on like a Tuesday evening, because that seems to work better for his family. Then, you know, you kind of make those different accommodations. You kind of switch things up a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I think too, like the article goes on to say, in that first point, it says, he's not there to meet your needs. Jesus says that. Yeah. And we talk about heart issue all the time with these podcasts, The some of the ones topic wise that, uh, you know, Scott, you and I have talked about, but the, the first point goes on to say, he's not there to meet your needs. Jesus does that. And the pastor is there to shepherd and watch the entire flock and see what healthy food is available and safe procedures that are in place. He's there to make you wholly not happy, which I'm yeah. like, wow, that's pretty deep. Because well,
0: yeah, and Absolutely. Happiness, I feel like, I mean, I've always had churches say, well, I'm not happy. Or I'll have churches say something like, oh, I'm trying to think of, you know, the pastor's not meeting my needs because, well, we'll we'll get to that. That's the next one we'll talk about, <laughs> number two. But, you know, there's certain things with the pastor. It's like, you know, the pastor can't meet everybody's needs. A pastor is human. The pastor has their limits. But yet Jesus is limitless. And if we're rooted in Christ, if we go back to John 15, you know, I'm the vine; you're the branches. If you are remain in me, and then I remain in you, if we if we have people who are connected to Christ and they're getting their nourishment from Christ, from the true vine, then that then Jesus is going to meet all your needs.
1: Yeah, exactly. All um, right,
0: Micah, number two. You want to shoot to number two, or do you want to still talk about this one?
1: No, we. Oh, so we got nine more. So uh, number two, number two says, I'm not being spiritually fed. What do you say to that, Scott?
0: Oh, this is, this is, oh, this get this grinds my gears all the time. And I'll just read what, um I'll just read what the author wrote. He wrote, babies have to be spoon fed. Adults can feed themselves. Since I've been able to read the Bible for myself and study God's word independently, I'm not dependent on the pastor to burp me. This, I, I've had one year in ministry, I had someone left the church because, and one of the things was, is I feel like I'm not being spiritually fed. Okay, that was their statement. They they left the church, left all their ministry, things that they're in charge of, and just completely walked out of the church. Hmm. At the same time, we had an oh, I had an older couple come in, and this guy said one of the reasons why he left the churches that he had gone to is because he felt like the pastor was always preaching baby food and never the meat of the gospel. So... And when I, when he started coming and I started preaching and he heard me preach, he basically would talk to me, he goes, man, you're the only pastor I know that's actually preaching the meat. So I look at those two, <laughs> and this happened the same year too. So, I, so for me, I think on both of these accounts, you know, it goes back to, A, what are you doing in your personal disciplines? Because if you're relying on a Sunday school teacher or a pastor to feed you, whether it's oatmeal or flaming Young, then you're kind of doing it wrong. The thing is, it's like a pastor's there to preach, to give inspiration, to encourage the church by using the word of God to encourage the church, to kind of recharge them to be the disciples makers, to go out into the world, to go out into their vocations and make disciples. And that's what I feel like Sunday morning, what the pastors do. It's basically after a week to recharge, to refocus, to get your focus right on Christ and then to go out. But if all my spiritual growth is based on a human being and not for me being involved in having a great prayer life or having a time of meditation with God or having a daily discipline of reading my Bible or reading a devotional for that matter, then if you're relying on other people to feed you, you're always going to get to a point where you're disappointed. Because even when you have a Sunday school teacher leave and a new one takes its place, or if you have a pastor that retires and a new one then it's like, well, I'm not being spiritually fed. It's like, well, is it because it's what the content is that's being proclaimed? Or is it because you don't like the personality of the pastor? Is it because you don't like how they deliver the sermon? Is it because they preach a lot of the, they preach in between Old Testament and New Testament and the only time you want to hear the message is in the book of John. You know, So there's a lot of things when it comes to spiritual, being spiritually fed that it goes back to, what are you doing for yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, and like, and going back to point, uh, one for a second, like when you were talking about people who, um, you know, wanted to be more personable with the pastor and go out to lunch or, you know, have, you know, spend, spend more time with the pastor. Like it's always been fascinating to me. The other, on the other side of that coin where people don't want to spend any time with anybody, right. They come in, they go to church, They feel like they've done what they're supposed to do as far as going to church. And then they leave. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, if we talk about being spiritually fed and like take the word fed a little bit further and like talk about a spiritual diet for a second, like that's only one part of it. Right. Going to church, corporate worship is one part of it. Small groups is another part of it. Reading your Bible devos is another part of it. Uh, praying have a prayer life with your spouse with yourself with your family mm. that's another part of it like that's just a small piece of the pie and if you're just blaming uh the fact that you're not being spiritually fed on that one little element then like that's more like back to the heart issue like that's a heart issue right if you're not you know working out those you know as as, as it says in scripture working out your own salvation and if you're in trembling then um yeah, I don't think you're doing it right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, honestly, right? Like, you have to, like, when when Jesus says to take up your cross daily, it's literal. Like, the gospel is literal. Jesus is literal. Jesus' teachings um, were literal. And so, and that's one of the things I love so much about Jesus, is the fact that how literal he was, and how simple it was when he communicated the gospel. Like, Take up your cross daily. It's mm-hmm. really not that hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like going back to the, the conversation, no, I'm not being spiritually fed. Like, do you want to be spiritually fed? Right? Like, I feel mm-hmm. like all these questions or all these points are going to be a uh, question with a question. But like, are you hungry for Jesus? Are you hungry for the gospel? Are you hungry for the community around you? And like, in most cases, Scott, come full circle with the first two points that we've talked to. And we can jump to number three. Um, in most cases, those people aren't happy anyway, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? They're not happy because they're not making the decision. They're not happy because they're not in charge. They're not happy because it's their church. And I think that nobody else can change things or move things. And Mm -hmm. that's a heart issue, a health issue and a control issue.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So it's just, it's almost an oxymoron, right? (laughs) Because if, if you're not being spiritually fed, what are you doing to be fed? like yeah. like if you're hungry Scott what do you do you go to the kitchen you make something to eat like yeah. that's the same thing about church so and
0: i think and even and even just a uh, really quick before we switch gears i think the other thing that i always see is you know what are people what's it's always that thing you are what you eat right so part of me goes okay you know if i'm diving into the word if i'm diving into my relationship with christ then that's the output that i'm going to get if i'm putting in to studying my Bible, to having that time with that alone time with God, then I'm going to produce the results. But if I'm putting a lot of my focus in on, you know, listening to, I don't know, listening to talk radio or watching cable news, or even just watching a bunch of movies that have a bunch of explicit sex and vulgarity in it, then And I'm saying, well, the pastor's not feeding me. Well, if that's what you're doing Monday through Friday, and you only have an hour or maybe an hour and a half, if you do go to Sunday school, and that's the only time you're getting any type of spirituality, it's almost like you're eating the worldly meat Monday through Friday. And then you go to Sunday to get a spiritual vitamin. And you're saying, well, I'm not being fed. Well, because you're only taking vitamins when we have a whole full course meal at the Lord's table for you to take and you choose not to eat that you choose to eat. Spend most of your time and your dedication in worldly things. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so number three, Micah, this is, uh, this is, is this me? Am I? Oh yeah. yeah your odds. Things. Yep. <laughs> your odd. odds. I'm odd. Yep. That's right. Okay. We're all three, odd. This kind of goes back to the control thing you talked about. I have a right. Dot, dot, dot. Here's my question. Do you? I right. <laughs> do you. So I have a right. Micah, the floor is yours on this one.
1: I think you set me up for that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> The article, you know, I have a right. Number three is the point. Number three, it says the Christian faith is about grace, the grace and mercy of God. We thank God. He does not give us what we deserve, which I totally agree with because we all deserve um way worse and you know my dad used to define and i think he still does grace is god's unmerited favor you know meaning that we just we, we just don't deserve god's grace love and mercy um it goes on to say faithful believers show the same kind of dedication and love to one another but at no point is a child of god to insist on his or her rights mm. um mm. yeah let's just do a log hmm. <laughs> like it's just It's incredible to me. And I've, I talked to a pastor yesterday and he said that he's been at his church. He's celebrating his 22nd year or he's going into his 23rd year at this church. And he um, mentioned that it's taken all of those 22 years or the majority of those 20 years to get to the point where he is now, where he can finally feel like he can make a decision and make, a confident decision that helps the leadership move forward mm-hmm. and move ministry forward um you know back to the diet and back to being spiritually fed like i have a right i it sounds like you're throwing a spiritual temper tantrum right and scott you have young kids right i'm sure they get upset yeah. sometimes. and like i've seen some of the most quote-unquote mature christians throw a temper tantrum because they weren't getting their way or they weren't informed of this or informed of that but like they were mm-hmm. carried into the church you know when they were in diapers and now they feel like they own the place. And it's like, do you, because if it's God's church, you know, and you're the mission field, then it's really not your church.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a church you go to. It's a church that you're a part of and a member and you, you know, are a part of that ministry and that experience, but it's not your church. Right. So what do you think?
0: Yeah, so I have the right. It makes me think back to scripture and just um, how easily people can take certain passages in scripture and kind of use them to support their cause. So you know, the I can do of-
1: all things through Christ who strength gives me strength.
0: <laughs> yeah, is that what I'm you're going to say? That. I'm going to score a touchdown because I said that verse. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but um,
1: were you going to quote that scripture?
0: That- you Yeah. Know
1: were you going to okay. quote that scripture?
0: No, I was not. Okay, I good. Actually was gonna, <laughs> no, I was not going to quote that scripture, but that is one that gets misused a lot. But I mean, the thing is, is that we have free, and I'm going to paraphrase, we have freedom in Christ. When the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So because I'm a Christian, because I have this relationship with Jesus, then I have freedom to do whatever I want. At the same time, that's not scriptural. We do have freedom from our sins when we're in Christ, but yet we are a servant. We are a slave to Christ. It is when we put to death our old self and we are raised anew in Christ. Yes, we have freedom from our sins. But when it comes to God's will, when it comes to our purpose on earth, that we must mirror and be reflections and be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And that's the thing. Like, you know, he says, take my yoke for it's easy and the burden is light. Yeah, it's a light yoke, but it's still a yoke you still have to put it on, you know what I mean? So I think that when we have this thing, I have a right, I think a lot of it kind of comes from, I think a lot of it comes from not only the misinterpret of scripture, but I think a lot of it is when we think about the idea of having rights and freedoms, I think a lot of that comes as a cultural thing. Cause again, you and me, we live in United States of America. I'm in Virginia, you're in Ohio. And I think sometimes our, political or even our American values sometimes interweave within our Christian faith. And sometimes there's things that do kind of fit hand in glove, but then there's other stuff that's like putting a square peg in a round hole sometimes where it just doesn't fit, but we try to force it to fit. So I, so for me, I think when it comes to, well, I have the right. So for an example, I have the right to basically say, I have the right to do whatever I want. So I have the right to paint this bathroom pink. And I remember there was a conversation where there's a church where two people are fighting because they kept changing the decorations in the bathrooms. The bathrooms, Micah. And that's where they were fighting. People were fighting in the church because some people wanted to have a this type of color wall some people wanted this type of some people wanted like more of a flowers in there some people didn't want any type of decorations and people were fighting over the decoration of bathrooms and i thought that was totally ridiculous but yet those type of things happen in church all the times because people feel like they have the right to do whatever they want whether they are skilled because they're a painter and they want to paint, do it this way, or it's because, well, I've been a member of this church for X amount of years. I have more of a say than the person that's been here for two years that still calls themselves a member of this church. And to me, that's not an upside down kingdom. That's not even a kingdom culture when we start getting into that point.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, back to the conversation about, um, I have a right. Uh, it goes on to say in that article, um, if we got what we deserve, we would all be in hell. So, like, honestly, <laughs> that um, kind of sums it up right there.
0: Yeah, I mean, but like, yeah. it,
1: it's fascinating to me, Scott. Like the number of churches that I've I've had the opportunity to go coach and uh, consult with over the last couple of years, and like, if they just made subtle changes so they're building like the, like the actual appearance, like you joke about the bathrooms, but like, if you go into a bathroom and like, it's not been painted since the church was built, you know, mm-hmm. 50 years ago, like at one point, do you make those changes?
0: Mm-hmm. Cause they have
1: to, they have to happen. Right. And so like, you know, cosmetic things, new carpet, um, you know, I walked into a church last year there was wood paneling on the church like that thing is from the 70s and that like we're in 2022 right so like that's at least 50 years removed and so like i'm not saying there's anything wrong with wood paneling but if you want to attract other generations and attract uh people to come to your facility and make it look a little bit more modern you're going to have to throw a fresh coat of paint on stuff every once in a while i'm not saying paint your sanctuary hot pink like you're talking about bathrooms (laughs) but like But like have a neutral color but like any other thing if you want to take it a step further scott is like why do we have to have committees for everything why does there have to be like okay we want to we want to paint the the backdrop of the stage black so that it looks better on camera for live streaming because guess what we just went through a global pandemic and everything went on the internet and everything was video so like you're going to have to have some sort of online presence whether you like it or not if you want to make that look good painting the back wall black is going to make that look better. It's going to make everything you see on camera pop. Right. Yeah.
0: So also and I'm depending sure, on the lighting as well, too, if you have good lighting, Yes,
1: yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's a separate conversation. But like I'm, yeah. my, my, whole, my whole point in this is the fact that like, if you don't make those changes, then where are you going to be in 20, 30 years?
0: And for right? some churches, where are they going to be in five or less years?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, it's very, it's like, it's a very surreal, um, and scary thought. I came out of a church a couple of months ago and I told my wife that I was like, man, it's pretty sad, but this church isn't going to be here in five years, 10 years, because some of the people are literally 70 years old and there's nobody young there at all. Yeah. And you know, Scott, as well as anybody, like, you know, when, when churches have older members who pass away, like it seems like there's these seasons of you know like death, like where people just oh, yeah. die. Right. Yeah. And you do, and like um, my dad has told me about seasons in his ministry where like he's done 10, 15, 20 funerals in the course of like two or three years. And that's if you are a church of you know, let's just say you're a church, a small church of fifty people and twenty people die. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's, that's a that's a huge number. That's a
1: huge chunk. So anyway, yeah. let's go on. Let's go on to number four. Um
0: all right, number four, yours is Micah.
1: I feel like I, I get to throw a lob a grenade back at you um, because right. of the yeah. last one. But it says, I'm not one to gossip, but dot, dot, uh. dot. And then he goes on to say that that's always the prelude to gossip, right? Uh. Uh, when, when I was a young pastor, one lady in the church would confide, quote, now I know, I know you would want to know, end quote. It was her way of just passing along the gossip. Stifling the urge to pass along the latest trash on someone in the church is one of the hardest skills to acquire. Only the mature can pull it off.
0: Yes. God, what do you think about oh, gossip? Oh my gosh. Churches. This, literally, this was the biggest issue. The biggest issue that I had at my last pass through. It was gossip. And it was funny. And the ironic part of it is I would even have people in leadership tell me this is an issue we have in this church. It is gossip. Great. At the same time, when there was gossiping happening, happening, they never were one to stifle it. They were never the one to put it out. It was almost like, well, it was kind of the idea of, well, if someone had an issue with somebody in the church, they were willing to say, they're willing to tell me don't gossip. But then if someone would go and talk to them about something that they're having an issue with, with another person in the church, they would sit there, they listen to it. And they would give them advice on what to do. But part of me goes, well, if they have an issue with someone, you should say, well, first, have you talked to this person about it? If this is something that you are strongly have a strong disdain against, you should go and you should talk to this elder or you should talk to this other person. You should talk to the pastor about this. It just seemed like that was never the rule. That was always the exception. And it drove me nuts when people would say, well, yeah, this is a big problem in the church or I'm not one to gossip, but, and you hear it, it's like, well, you're gossiping. You straight up are gossiping. And I think, you know, like you, like I love how at the end where it says, you know, stifling the urge to pass along the latest trash on someone in church is one of the hardest skills to acquire. Only the mature can pull off, pull it off. And I think literally the only way you can really pull this off is to really be rooted in Jesus Christ. Cause I can even think about the times in my early ministries, how it's so easy when that's a, when you have gossiping in a culture, a a gossiping culture in the church, how easily that even the most loving mature Christians can easily get ensnared in that. Mm -hmm. can easily get sucked into it i know there's been a lot of times in my years of ministry especially my early ministries at camp where you could easily get sucked into a culture of gossip
1: well and it's one of the most unhealthy and toxic places you can be
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and you can lose people people can be so hurt by some of the most simplest of things and In most cases, they're a misunderstanding, but still you're talking behind somebody's back and, you know, take it further, Scott, like, um, you know, I've been a part of, uh, churches that are multi-staff, right? Larger churches and even within the staff culture, like it's not good, (laughs) like it's just not, it's not healthy at all. So, um. We've, we, I quoted Paul a lot, you know, in our time together on some of these podcasts, but mm-hmm. Paul says to be on guard and guard your heart. And so,
0: yeah, you know,
1: if it's something where you, you can call something out or call somebody out for some of those things and they're still not listening and they're still gossiping and they're still talking trash about people, just walk away. It's the best thing you can do is walk away. Right. And scripture even tells us to like confront the person. If they don't listen, take somebody with you, take your brother, you know try to try to knit the situation in the bud. But if above all else, if it's not working out in that direction, as far as, you know, it's better to just walk away and not, like you said, Scott, get trapped with,
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the conversation of gossip, because if you're not there and you're not involved, does that make sense? Like, I, yeah,
0: absolutely. I would rather,
1: I would rather not be involved. If somebody continued to do that, even if you've addressed it, than to sit there and, you know, continue to hear it.
0: Yeah. All right. Yep. Definitely. All right. Number five, here's the grenade back at you, Micah. Now I'm not saying who, but some people are unhappy about dot, dot, dot.
1: Unhappy about what? What do people in churches have to be unhappy about Scott?
0: Yeah. Well, here's here here's kind of here's the um author's point he says anonymous criticism is one of the most cowardly things ever concocted in hell when the pastor asks who exactly is this you say is unhappy his critic answers well, I'm not at liberty to say. At this point, the preacher should then get up and show his visitor the door. This conversation is over, friend, and if they don't leave, the pastor should. Lay leaders should teach the membership never ever to bring anonymous criticism to them or to their ministers, period. Thoughts? That's a lot. Um... (laughs) It is a lot. It is a lot. Wow. Wow.
1: yeah i um i don't know what to say about that
0: (laughs) here i'll I'll, here i'll jump right in this one yeah like Uh, give it to
1: me you should go first on this one because i'm just having a little bit of trouble like so like because like i'm sorry but the article says well i'm not liberty to say at this point the preacher should just get up and show the visitor the door (laughs) like what is that literal or figuratively
0: I think it's figuratively. I think it's kind of more tongue-in cheek here. I mean, I'll give an ex- I'll give two examples. There was one time before I became the pastor of a church, when they were in their searching season, they were trying the church was trying to develop a visitation team to check in and to visit those who are in nursing homes or who are kind of shut-ins. okay. And they were trying to do this for, they were without a pastor for almost two and a half years. And for two and a half years, they tried to get this thing off the ground and they just couldn't get it done. So then I became the pastor and I'm sitting in this meeting and on this committee and they're talking about trying to get this going. And it just seemed like it still wasn't getting any headway. And one of the reasons why it wasn't getting any headway because someone would say, well, what if somebody happened to notice that the pastor and let's say a female parishioner were in a car together, driving to go visit somebody. And, and then they would start spreading rumors that, you know, that something bad was about to happen. And I sat there and I said, well, who are these people? Who are these people hiding in bushes that are taking out their cameras and taking pictures of the pastor and a church member who are going to give spiritual care to a shut-in. Like, who are these people? And, And so there's like one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is I've had people say, well, I know I've heard some people say that, you know, they're just not happy with this or with that or everything else. And I'm like, okay, well, who are these people? Who are these people? Because the thing is, is you're hearing it, but I'm not hearing it. And if they have an issue with the way worship's done, they need to bring it up to the worship team or they need to bring it up to me. If they have an issue with how a how a committee ruled on a certain event or a structural change in the church, then they need to take it up with them and they need to be not be anonymous about it. They need to say, hey, I have some concerns and really have that conversation. And it just seemed like everything was always done in a cloud. Where if there's any type of conflict or any type of unrest, it was done in a cloud and everything was anonymous. And I even had a pastor buddy who's been a pastor at the same church for almost 25 years. And when I was a student, he had to preach. He was the associate and he had to preach a sermon and he brought two bags, two bags. One was about, you know, I would say probably the size of a trash bag. And then the other one was probably the same, like almost like a 30 gallon trash bag. And the other one was probably about like maybe an eight gallon trash bag. And he showed these two bags and he said in all his years of ministry, he has collected notes, um, cards that were encouraging and even the anonymous letters he got. The one that was in the big black trash bag was all the criticism. And the one in the smaller bag was all the praise that this pastor got. And he did this sermon series and he talked about, you know, sometimes the ones, the the encouraging will always outweigh the negative, but it's hard when you're dealing with a lot of basically trash coming at you. So when I hear people say, well, I'm not saying who, but some are unhappy. and, And again, who's bringing this up? It's not your regular church member. It's usually your lay leaders that are bringing this up. So, already your lay leaders, by not basically rebuking this or basically saying, hey, we're not bringing, if you have an issue, I'm not going to bring this up anonymously. If you have an issue, you can come to a board meeting and bring it up to the concerns to the pastor in the board face to face, or you can go talk to this individual one on one. But when lay leaders take this information and they pass it on to the minister and they say, well, somebody said, or or I heard it said this and that you're already creating a toxic culture. You're already creating a culture where you're not allowing the leader that God has called to your church to thrive and do the necessary changes for the church to become more like a kingdom culture than a worldly culture. That's just disguised as a church.
1: Mm-hmm. And what I would say to that is just simply, you know, the pastor already has a hard enough job. Mm-hmm. The team, your staff, you know, if you're a multi-site or multi-staffed uh, church, the staff already has a hard enough to, you know, time making decisions in fear of it being the right or wrong one. Um, so, you know, the further your ministry, the further your uh, church in, in a positive light. So, like, you know, that's just, that goes back to the podcast we did on church health and, you know, how vital it is and Uh, it's fascinating scott to me like when that person's like somebody's saying these things where they're not happy about the church or they're going to leave the church or they're you know they're going to start this problem or that problem but in most cases scott it's the people that are saying it that are just yeah you know what i mean like they're they're making it up they're making it up like it's somebody else but yet it's actually them who's not happy
0: It's true. And I think that I think there's I think there's that where they're kind of being like a mediator. And I think it's just them, but they just don't have the courage to basically say, Yes, I have an issue with it. So they're hiding behind the disguise of someone or people. And it's like anonymous, but to the same point. And that's why going back to the author, he says this is the most cowardly thing you can do. And I I would agree with that a hundred percent.
1: You ready to move on to six?
0: Oh my goodness. Let's see what. Bomb, you're going to throw up me
1: um, has to do with money every saver thing in the church. Um, okay. It says I gave quote I gave my money for that, so I'll make the decision as to how it is to be used end quote
0: Okay, whoo all right. hate this one. Hate it it's, <laughs> this is interesting here's and again, my dad is a CPA. he's done a lot for church church budgets. He understands like church tax law. This is the thing that always irks him a lot because like, and I'll kind of read the description for this. It says, once our gifts are in the offering plate, they belong to the Lord and his church. The donor relinquishes all control and is entitled to nothing as a result. Even the IRS agrees with that money given to a mission program or to benevolence cannot be dictated by the donor church procedure decides how it will be used. This is fascinating for two reasons. There are times when, let's just look at basic giving or tithing. If I give my money into the offering plate, however the church leadership decides to use that money is none of my concern. For me, if I feel like the Lord has called me to give and I give, then at the end of the day, That is how it's going to be used. And I have no control over that. When you have people who donate money and say, I'm donating money for, there's sometimes people will donate money and say, I'm donating money so that we can upgrade the sound equipment. So it's kind of a designated fund or we would call them designated funds. They're funds that are designated to certain things. Okay. Okay. For me, I don't have an issue with that. If someone is giving money to help with roof repairs or a rainy day fund, or even put money in for a college scholarship, I think that's fine. But at the end of the day, when your church administrative team or your budget team gets together and they're saying, okay, we have a deficit and we have all this money and designated funds to use, why can't we go and pull money out? And the the argument I hear, it's like, well, we can't pull it out because it was given for that specific purpose. At the same time, if you give some, my thing is if you give money to the church, the church should be able to use it how they want. And my dad has always argued that. And, and I'll give it, and here's a great example. There was a family years ago in a church that gave a bunch of money for a memorial fund. So there's this money, then there was some extra left over. So now you have this money that's sitting from a family that for the last probably three or four years stopped attending church. So now you have this designated money from a family that doesn't even attend a church and time when someone says, "Can we use that to offset some of our some of the red that we have in our budget?" I have heard the treasurer say, "Well, we got to go contact that family to see how it's going to be used." And it's like this family, technically, according to the bylaws, they're not even a member of this church anymore. So why are we giving power to people who no longer call this place their home church? Yeah. And There's- so, and I feel like because we've made finances so complicated mm-hmm. within church things, it's almost like anytime we want to pull money for over here to offset this, either we say well we can't do that because it was given this fund, or you always have to bring it up for public discussion in a board meeting. And part of me goes, if you have hired, and this is my view, if people in the church has voted in prayed for, and voted in certain individuals to serve as leadership in the church, then it should be the leaders that just make that decision. And again, if the church doesn't like it, well, then next time when their term's up to serve again, you could say, no, we're not going to have this person serve anymore. But I don't think everything, every little decision that is that the church has to make, especially regarding its finances always has to be up for approval by the entire body all the time.
1: Mm. Yeah. So there, there's so many different ways that we could go with this point. Um, and I just think that, you know, and, and in my own experience in ministry over the last 10 years, like I've been in different churches, different circles, you know, and then churches that like. You know, churches, Scott, that have literally just a pastor and maybe a secretary, they do things a lot differently than churches that have multiple staff members, a financial person, an office administrator, like just multiple staff. And um, for example, I, the the last full-time ministry job I had, I have my own credit card. I have my own budget. I was told to spend this. And if it was something for my area of ministry and it was over a certain amount of money. I had to go get approval from my supervisor. But other than that, there really, was really no limit. I just kept the receipts and I gave it, I turned it in with my statement at the end of the month. And our financial person, you know, they did the books. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really have to go through a board. I didn't really have to go through a council. I really didn't have to go through much, like to, you know, as long as I was not blowing a, an absorbent amount of money, like, and it was within reason, I could make those purchases. Now, on the flip side, you know, I, I can't remember what church it was that I was at early on, but uh, I wanted to buy some lights for our venue and I wanted to do a new stage design. And I had to go through the worship uh, worship music committee, who then had to go through the church council, who then had to go through the board of elders. And it was like a six week process, like just in order for me to make a purchase. Like, and I didn't have a credit card, like there was one credit card and you know the office you know the office manager had it and once i got it approved then i got the credit card then i went and bought it then i turned a receipt in. it was just this tedious process and pointless process that i didn't feel that was needed so um it's just crazy the hoops that some churches go through to just spend some money to make ministry move forward now on the flip side of that like i'm a big believer in um being good stewards of God's money Mm -hmm. and we're called to do that. It's biblical, but like if you're just sitting on it, like I've seen churches um, I pastored at a church in North Carolina for a year and they're, they were debt free. They had a beautiful facility. They had their main building, which is where their sanctuary and some classrooms and the church offices were. And then they had what was called the family life center. And it was like this huge building, multi-purpose recreational center that had a gym had a kitchen, you know, had extra classrooms and places for people to stay. Like if they were like a revival or speakers or guest speakers, there was rooms Mm -hmm. built for that. Um, They also had 15 acres of land and they had $150,000 in the bank, but they didn't want to spend any money. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you want a good website? Do you want a good, you know, do you want a good like marketing? Do you want good, you know, you know, cameras to do live streaming, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And instead they're like, nope, we're debt free. And we're just going to sit on this money there's a difference in between be- being good stewards of God's money and actually having those ministry dollars and moving ministry forward. And on the flip side of that, having so much debt that you don't know what to do with the money. Right. So like being debt free and having the money and the ability to spend money and move those ministry dollars forward, like do it right. Be fruitful, multiply. <laughs> like yeah. it's just, there's so, like I said, there's so many different ways you can um, go with this conversation. And it's, it's uh it's interesting to me, like, and specifically to this point, and, and I know we want to move on, but like, it's just like, it's amazing to me that, you know, Jill and, you know, Tommy gave $50,000 for the, the, the music ministry of the church, and you cannot spend it on anything except for the music ministry. And it's very specific. And it's almost like people use those things to have some sort of control over the ministry. And that's yeah. not right either.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, would, I
1: would rather not have your money than you give money to the church and dictate how it's used, similar to what your dad said.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think it goes back to the parable of the talents. It's the idea of if you have, even throughout the history of the church, if you have, you know, $150,000, use it to kind of advance ministry forward. But if you're just going to go bury it in the ground and sit on it and hide it until the master comes back to reclaim it. What are you going to say? Like, Oh, Oh, well I just buried it. Like, I mean, what did, what did the, in the parable, that was a wicked servant. That wasn't a faithful servant who I think we're so many times we look at the finances and we say, Oh, well, if we spend it, then we're losing money. But we see so many times that even when they went out and invested the money in something It always came back. And again, if we believe that the money given to the church is God's money and we're being good stewards of God's money, which I think is a key argument, then the only thing that's going to happen is it's going to multiply. It's not going to wither away because we're being good stewards of God's money. So if you do have to spend money to upgrade sound equipment or you have to use it to actually buy some curriculum or even spend a little bit money to actually pay for a part-time worship leader just to kind of build something up then you should use that money to do it and not just have it sitting in a savings account or sitting in a CD and just gaining interest on it just so you can have a rainy day fund because i think i think that's unwise and that's not a good use of god's money
1: and i think covid covid kind of moved that a little bit the needle on oh. that on in a positive way because like pastors like especially pastors of churches who were like they were just by themselves they had to hire somebody to help them do some stuff because if they were doing you know what i mean like that was just like there was a lot more that needed to be done all of a sudden and i think that churches are finally starting to see you know even if i'm paying somebody 300 a week or whatever to come and run my my live stream and my lyrics and you know posting my video content afterwards like and and keeping that up to date like that's a good That's a good job, like a good part-time job where you can pay somebody a stipend who's really passionate about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Go for it. What do you think about number seven? I think you're up.
0: Yep. All right. Here we go, Micah. Sorry, I don't have a gift for that. Every believer can serve in a hundred ways, whether we are gifted in a particular area or not. No one requires a specific anointing of God to share their faith or make a gift or pray a prayer or teach a class. There you go, man. Thoughts? They don't, or they won't. Mm.
1: When I look at that, I'm like, they don't, or they won't. Um, I was having a conversation. You know, I feel like I have a, an answer for all of these, which is the point of this podcast and the point of us <laughs> recording this, because we we review stuff and like we kind of share ministry stories. Um, but I was telling somebody this morning. I was on a phone call with a, with, a, with a guy who does uh, video for his church and they were talking about how like they want to they don't want to do like video announcements for example and like I think video announcements are a great tool to a help save time at a service mm-hmm. B you know people can see that and it's visual and then the most important of those things you know not everybody's a public speaker right not everybody has the ability to get up or, or excuse me want to get up and share in front of a crowd. Right. So like, I, um, that's one point. But the other thing is like, when it says, sorry, I don't have a gift for that. It's like, they don't, or they won't. And like some people can pretty, you know, selfish and stubborn. And so like, I think my goal as a leader, as a pastor, I think your goal as a leader, as a pastor, Scott would be that like, how can we get them plugged in? How can we get them to feel comfortable with things? How can we get um, people to realize that they do have a gift, whether it's you know music, whether it's communicating, whether it's serving on a you know video or a media team or a sound team or first impressions. And I think that's that's the idea of churches. like how do you how can you get people plugged in and that's like a whole separate conversation, but like, and we've never talked about it on your show, but like assimilation. How do you get people in there? How do you get people to be interested in your ministry? How do you get people to get plugged in and how do you get people to serve? Yeah. And so yeah, it's about finding your gifts. What do you think?
0: So uh, gifts, the topic of gifts is always fascinating. (laughs) It's fascinating with me because we believe that gifts, I feel like that the idea of gifts or spiritual gifts can be found in two categories. And I think it's very, uh, very paradoxical. I think there are some gifts that we have that we're just naturally good at for me you know i'm just good at playing the bass guitar i'm good at listening to music i don't know how to read music but i can listen to it and i can follow rhythm and again like i'm i've been playing music for years and to the point where i can understand rhythm and timing and it just naturally comes to me where i can easily tell the worship leader hey you're off like instantly and there's times where i've listened to <laughs> and I, maybe this is a different conversation but there's times where i've listened to tracks and just listened to the music with the click track underneath it and sometimes i'm going well this click tracks off like i'll listen to them like this is off a little bit because we're supposed to come in here and it just started like a millisecond late or a millisecond early so you know there's a this. At that i think there's other gifts where they're gifts that the spirit has given you for a certain amount of time, for a certain amount of place to do a certain kind of thing. Um, So when it comes to, I can't, sorry, I don't have a gift for that. To me, I think as the body of Christ, we are called to go and make disciples and you don't need a gift to make disciples. You just need to show up. I was at search. I was at a church service uh, yesterday and they just finished a series on the great commission. And one of the things that the pastor said and he was very transparent he says i know we've been talking for this entire month on the great commission that we need to go and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples and all this but i'm going to be honest with you sometimes making disciples is scary sometimes going out and sharing your faith with another person is scary so when i hear people say sorry i don't have a gift for that i think it's too, it falls into two camps either they're afraid or B, it's because they have such a certain level of, they have a certain amount of, I, I just lost the word. They have like a certain level of professionalism. Like they have almost like kind of like this perfectionistic view where, well, someone who teaches a class has to ha- be knowledgeable about the entire Bible. And yet I have people who I would say are probably not the best teachers, but they definitely know how to read through and go through a curriculum. And by just taking it home, by studying it for a week and then going and teaching kids about Jesus, they do a fantastic job. And that's the thing, they're not doing, they're not prepping. They're not going and reading through their Bible. They're just basically, here's the curriculum. I like some of these questions I can ask because here's, I think these questions my age group can answer and they can just take the curriculum and go with it. And it's very easy because all the groundwork has been laid before them. All they need is someone to show up and do it. Mm. So, um, and I think there, and I, and on the other coin of this idea of gifting too, I think that you know, if you have someone who cannot sing, they should not be your worship leader.
1: Oh I mean, yeah, I think
0: there's, I think there's stuff like that where you could say, yeah, like they don't have a gift. But I mean, I know some people who they're very, I think that they would be very good in teaching a class and they're just like, well, no, I'm not good. I'm like, but you're so good and your character and your personality. And I think you, and you're very, and when you talk to people, people just naturally open up to you. And I think that's what we need in a Sunday school class is people, when you ask a question or you're talking to allow people to open people up, to be able to respond to what the content is. And there's some people who, are just not good at trying to draw questions out of people. And there's some people who can do it very naturally. It seems like the people who can, who have that natural thing go, well, you know, I don't have a gift for that, but it's like, well, yeah, you may not have a gift for teaching, but if I can give you some curriculum and you can use your natural ability, natural ability just to, get people to talk and to draw them out and to be open to communicate about some stuff. I think that would make a great teacher because you don't have to worry about reading the Bible and trying to create a lesson plan or anything.
1: Yeah. Uh, I feel like everybody has a gifting of some sort. And I feel like that, uh, like our goal as leaders is just like, again, just to, to find a way to, to plug them in, whether they're greeting people as they're walking in the door, whether they're, um, they like to take pictures, like if we have a photography team, if, you know, they want to run lights or live streaming or, or, or yeah. media, or if they're a sound engineer, maybe, they not, maybe they're not a good musician, but they're a good, you know, engineer to run sound. Um, maybe they're not a public speaker, but they could teach a class. You know, there, there are just numerous ways that you can um, get people plugged in. And um, I think it kind of leads to our next uh, point, number eight. It just talks about uh, why don't they do something? A friend, it goes on to say, well, the question is, why don't they just do something? A uh, friend says three groups of people can be found in every congregation. There are consumers who are just browsing. There are customers. Uh, we come to this church because of their music program or children's missions, Bible teaching, etc. If you cancel that program, they leave. And then finally, there are shareholders. And that's a work day. And these are the ones who show up. You build a church with shareholders. Not with the two, not with the other two groups, although most of the latter were one of the former previously. So Scott, what do you think about consumers? What do you think about yeah. um, shareholders? What do you think about customers? Like those are the three you know, main yeah. things that are, uh, and I've seen all three in my ministry experience, like yeah. the consuming, the people that just sit there, do they consume the the content? the people that are customers who they buy into it and they're there for the worship. They're there for the children's ministry. And if you don't have a good worship service, if you don't have a good children's ministry, then they're not going to stay. And then finally the shareholders who like, if you're announcing like an all church work day and you're going to serve little Caesars hot and ready pizza, they're going to be the first person's there and the last person's to leave. What do you think of, what do you think of that? What do you think of those three groups? What do you think of why it's
0: just talk about? Yeah. So let's focus on consumers and I think this a lot of this goes back to our last question about gifting. Um, because you said, I think everybody has a gift, and I agree with that. I think there's also a time where if you just show up, if you just show up and be a part, then God would give you the gifting to do the stuff that you need to do. I, I, for me, it's about consumers. And actually, I just had a conversation with a pastor And he said he had a family left left their church because they just felt like that the church, the only thing that the church does well is promote itself. It's always about, it's always about on social media, it's about we are this church, here's what we stand for, here's this. And it's the church through their social media platforms, through their app, through their website, through what they put in the paper for when they have a big event. It's always about the church building or the name of the church. And they said, well, we want to go to a smaller church where it's about the community and not about the promotion. And he told me this and I'm looking at him and I said, well, here's the thing. Where are they going to find a church, a smaller church, that can continue, that can contend with all the ministry that you have? Plus, the greatest promotion for any church is the people who are basically telling their friends, I go to this church and I love this church, and here's the reasons why I love my church. And they list it out. And we see fewer fewer people doing that. So if the consumers are there because they want to sit there, they just want to consume the content, just kind of get the perks of what the church has to offer, whether it's a great rock and worship, whether it's sound teaching from the pastor, whether it's the aesthetics, whether it's the kids' ministry, all that stuff. If they're just kind of I'm browsing, I'm just consuming, then and you're not promoting, then yeah, the church has to promote itself to basically try to use it as an evangelistic tool. But the church shouldn't have to be. I think the church in some ways has to promote itself, but really the best promotion is the people of the church who have bought in the show what we would call the the shareholders who are basically saying, "I love this church because we do missions, we impact our community, you know what we have a rock we have a very great worship time, we have a great kids program, we have a great growth growth group program, whatever the case may be, that's great." Uh, when people come to church because of a specific thing, and I hear that all the time. I, there's been visitors who have come to church. And I've heard them say, well, we love the church, we think it's great, but we really are looking for a church that, and usually it has to do with music. We want a church that is all traditional. We We're want a church that has more, we want a church that has more southern gospel music. So they want they want the gaithers in their church every single Sunday. I want a church that's just always play the modern music so when yeah. you're a worship leader and you're trying and you look at your demographics and you're trying to create a worship service that can kind of say not even not even if you're if you're a worship leader that's trying to meet every needs everybody's musical taste in the church you're never going to find a happy person but at the same time if a worship leader says okay I feel like God here's the pastor's message and here's the songs that I'm going to pick that goes with this theme or this message. And some of it's going to be Bethel. Some of it's going to be Fanny Crosby. And (laughs) you know, you get that music and it's almost like people go well, because you didn't play because you played that one Fanny Crosby song I'm out, or because you played that one Bethel song I'm out. And it's like, well, then are you truly invested in the church? And I feel like we've gotten to the point where we talk about the body of Christ being the unified body of Christ, where the thing that unifies us is Jesus Christ himself, his gospel, his teachings, his, his life. And if we say, well, I'm not going to be part of this Christian community because I don't like that you don't have a good children's ministry, then I feel like you've missed the mark on what it means to be a Christian. I feel like people who say, well, I keep, we're not going because we don't have a children's ministry. Well, if that's passionate for you, going back, then why don't you step into that role? Mm. Because obviously, if that's something that's passionate to you, why can't you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to be a teacher or I'm going to help out in our children's ministry.
1: Yeah, those are all great points. I mean, it's... <laughs> If you're looking for a perfect church, you're going to be looking forever.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: (laughs) And that's, that's, you know, even with children's ministry, that's with worship ministry, that's with preaching. Like, you know, I feel like there's churches, there are churches that do that incredibly well. But even those churches have issues. Every church has issues. Um, And there's going to be people at every church that aren't happy, right? There's going to be every church that people, you know, are the three things that we just mentioned. You know, they're the consumer They're the buyer. They're, um, I can, uh, the third one's escaping me. Uh, The shareholder was the final one. Um, There, there are going to be those at all churches, big, small country, uh, rural um, city, uh, multi-site, traditional, contemporary, you name it. Like they're, (laughs) They're going to, those kind of things are going to happen at every church. I don't care where you go. I don't care who you are. Those things are going to happen. And there's going to be people that are legitimately not happy wherever you go. So the best thing you can do is offer those things. And if they like them, great. If they're not like, you just need to release them into the world and they need to find something else. They need to find another church that makes them happy and fulfills their needs. And if they don't, if they're not fulfilled there, they don't need to be there and they don't need to hinder your ministry and continue, continue to, you know, be stressed out and suffer because of that. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And I think there is something that Charles Stanley said. He said he, he talked about one time there was a family that was leaving his church and he basically begged and fought and, you know, tried to say, oh, hey, you know, try to do whatever, try to make every accommodation to get this family not to leave the church and stay. Um, so he was able to be successful about it. And he said that was probably the worst decision he ever made in ministry because it caused so many issues. And I and I'd agreed, you know, if people are unhappy and they need to leave, then, you know, say la vie.
1: You can't accommodate, you can't accommodate everything for everybody. It's just not possible. Exactly. You're going to kill yourself in the process.
0: All right. Here we go. Number nine. The preacher is a dictator. What? So that's now this is a this is probably like the longest description of what this is. Now, some preachers have been known to tyrannize congregation. So let us admit that up front. There is no place for that in the household of God. However, Acts 20, 28 says the Holy Spirit makes the pastors the overseers of the church. And Hebrews 13, 17 calls on us to submit to those who are over us in the Lord. Personally, I'd be careful in accusing the pastor of being a dictator. I keep thinking of a time when the charge was made about me. Oh, so this guy, was a pastor. So, okay, now we know the answer. He was a pastor. The church's building committee had decided we need to renovate our aging sanctuary, and I supported the decision. And as pastor became the spokesman for the effort, in short order, some began to accuse me of engineering this project for what reasons I could never discern and ramrodding it through. Go figure. All right. What's your what's your initial thoughts on the preacher as a dictator?
1: Gotta be careful with what I say.
0: Oh um, my gosh. Here we go. We're ready.
1: No, no, no. I, I just like. <laughs> up until this point, we've talked a lot about the lay people. Yeah. Right. And we've talked about the lay people complaining and we've talked about the lay people being not happy and the lay people, you know, lobbing grenades and you know, it's my church. And, and you know,
0: yeah. And I, even and even just lay leaders at that yes. point. Yes. Mm-hmm. And
1: so <laughs> I want to say that pastors can be just as guilty of that as lay people. Absolutely. And absolutely. I think the word dictator is strong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But at the same time i've been in spaces where it's not healthy because of mm. that right yeah. and it's it's Absolutely. not healthy because the pastor's not in a healthy space and um it, it almost feels like a dictatorship yeah right and mm-hmm. so like even if it's not their idea they want it to seem like their idea so they ramrod their idea down people's throats and you know it's like why You know, why, like, and I've been in spaces like where, why have you hired me to do this job if you're not going to, you know, take my input? And it's not about like me being in control of things, but like, you know, so and so hired so and so to be the creative arts person and they're doing the stage design for this series. And, you know, as an associate, I've always been a big proponent of like my job as the associate staff members to help the senior pastor take some of that burden off of him or her and just let them flourish, let them be the pastor, let them lead, let them shepherd, let them preach and, you know, take some of that responsibility away from them in a good way. Right. And so back to the point of being like uh, a dictator, they're just not, um, it's just not a good thing. And part of that too, is that like, I feel like pastors aren't in a healthy space. And part of that is they take on too much themselves and they're, they're so concerned again with making the wrong decision that they don't make a right one. And so they don't make it. They're they're so concerned with making the wrong decision that they don't make one period. Or when they make one, it's out of rash decision-making, meaning that that's, it's usually, it usually ends up backfiring or it's not good or it falls flat on its face. What do you think, Scott?
0: Yeah. uh, Probably shouldn't have asked me that question, but here we go. Then then don't Uh, answer it. We'll go to (laughs) the no, 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 no. I'll, I'll answer it it's 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 fascinating, because you know I've looked at you know, I tend to follow up. and again, a lot of my Twitter feed is church leaders. So when something is going down, like I probably know more about all the intricacies and the leader failings of the SBC regarding sexual abuse and race, then I really need to know. I probably know more about the SBC than I know about my own denomination, uh, which probably good because our denomination probably tries to keep its nose clean, even though we're not without fault on some things as well. Mm-hmm. But that's a conversation for another time. Um, yeah, the preacher's a dictator. There, there's certain things that I would say, and I think there's a word you always say is about balance, right? And I agree with the first part that sometimes leaders can, pastors can be very abusive. It Mm -hmm. can be very controlling or narcissistic with how they do things. The other thing is I think when people say a preacher is taking control or being a dictator, we have to remember, depending on how the church is organized, most churches usually have some type of board a spiritual board, a committee, an elder board. So when a pastor is making decisions for the future of the church, you will have a room full of people who are there to discuss things, to talk it over, to ask questions, to see what are some of the challenges for whatever project, like let's say a building renovation. So you already have the pastor and a handful of people who are talking about this, going through it before it even gets to the congregation to discuss it with the congregation about this building project or whatever. So if you feel like that, the pastor's being a dictator, I think you have to say, okay, is the pastor creating a culture where he is the, he or she are the only ones in power and what they say go. And is that just something, a culture that, is kind of been created based on your operations manual or your bylaws, or even if you're using the Bible or even the Bible within that context. The mm-hmm. other thing is if you feel like the pastor is being a dictator, then who are the people that are surrounding him that are allowing this to happen? Because if you have a bunch of yes people, basically going with whatever the pastor says and saying, yes, we support you. We agree with you. And then the pastor does these things. And then the people are getting, the congregation is getting mad because the pastor's taking control and being a dictator. Well, there definitely were people in the room to say, no, we don't think this is a good idea. And they chose not to. Yeah. So when it comes to leadership, especially, if you don't like that the pastor's being a dictator, then maybe just don't vote anybody in to serve as a leader of the church or to serve on the elder board and really put people on there that can a not, not be in opposition of the pastor, but basically be able to think critically and be able to say, okay, I understand your vision. However, I think it may go off. Let's try to figure out what we can do to try to make this change with And again, most people aren't going to like change anyway, but how can we make this change where it's going to cause the least amount of damage? We know it needs to be done. It has to be done. But let's try to communicate it, do whatever we can, make sure all our I's are dot, all our T's are crossed before we can go through there, mainly so that we don't have these accusations or a lynch mob within the church to go after the pastor because of this decision and say, well, this is the pastor's fault. Cause this is, because this is what, because this is what the pastor wanted. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And it, and it comes back to accountability. If you have a, you know, a decent team, your brothers and sisters, you know, who are your elders, um, you know, elders and leaders in your church, as well as, you know, staff, um, and you legitimately, um, inquire about their input and their happiness uh, with you and like the decisions that you're making, I think that that's, that's spiritual maturity, that's leadership maturity. And if you, um, you know, are more, you know, you opt more to you know, bring those brothers and sisters alongside of you. I think the more successful you'll be because you're not carrying that burden alone. You're not carrying the ministry by yourself. And you're, you're actually asking for input versus, you know, like you're saying, being a dictator. So Mm -hmm. let's move on. Let's go to the last, last question. Um, It's the last question of this article. um, as we kind of like wind our time uh, together down. Uh, Number 10 says, I don't know what the Bible says, but I know what I believe. (laughs) I'm going to read that again. I don't know what the Bible says, but I know what I believe. And it goes on in the article to say, each believer should bring our convictions and beliefs under the lordship of Jesus and the authority of God's word. If we are upholding, if we are holding onto a doctrine or belief about what scripture says otherwise, the spiritually mature will jettison the faulty conviction and stand on the word. The immature and carnal will insist that being true to his or her beliefs, flawed as they are, is the highest form of faithfulness. I suspect that one of the greatest tests of maturity and faithfulness in the kingdom is the ability to receive correction from the word of God, even to the point of giving up cherished beliefs and doctrines we have held dear, but now seen as mistaken. Let us bring every area of our lives under the leadership of Jesus Christ. Amen. Scott, what do you think? What do you yeah. think about I don't know what I don't know what the Bible says, but I know what I believe.
0: I don't know if I've actually heard that quoted directly. What I usually hear is I believe what I believe. I know Jesus is in my heart and I know what I believe. And it's like, okay. And yet, usually the people who make that statement are usually people who are not acting Christ like. And it's very, and and I feel like it's almost like a, it's almost like they're drawing a line in the sand in some ways. They're basically saying, you cannot, you cannot rebuke me for whatever it is because I know Jesus is in my heart, I know I'm a Christian and I know what I believe and that's good enough. Now, I may I may cause some controversy with this next statement I'm going to make, but I find it very hard that when people say, "Well, I prayed Jesus into my heart," and yet I have nowhere in any Bibles that I have read in different translations, do I see The idea of salvation is by saying a prayer and asking Jesus into your heart. (laughs) You're giving me a look, Micah. Um, Because when I look at the book of Romans, when Paul talks about salvation, he says, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and do you proclaim his resurrection. So there is a belief and a proclamation. And by proclamation, not only proclaiming that Jesus lived from the dead, but I believe that as a Christian, that's something that you live out in your everyday life. So even going back to the number one through number nine, and even number 10, if you are a Christian, not only do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God, but are you say, are you proclaiming it with your mouth? Are you proclaiming it with your lives? Mm-hmm. So when I hear people say, well, I know what I believe and I'm, I have Jesus in my heart and I know what I believe, then part of me goes, well, that's great, but do you know what the Bible says? I even had an elder one time there was, there was some times where some people had some concerns about my leadership and they came and they were just, you know, offered their concerns. And I had to sit there and the elders were there and, you know, we discussed the stuff. It's like, okay, you know, not the most pleasant time. But, um, but one of the things that was very interesting is that one of the elders, the one of the person asked the question, I don't think he was doing it to be jerky. I don't think he was doing it to cause a fight, but he simply just asked the question, well, do you read the Bible? And his point was when he asked that question, because if you read the Bible and you know what it says, really there was nothing wrong with whatever accusations that were, or charges that were being brought against me. Like everything was nothing's wrong, nothing scripturally bad, everything was fine. And this one individual got so offended by that, and simply just said, yes, my dad read the Bible to me since I was in diapers. And that was the statement they made. And I sat there and I go, well, wait a minute. The question wasn't, Has the Bible been read to you? Have you yourself read the Bible? So it was very fascinating that this individual, basically to justify everything that they were doing, was like, well, yes, I've read the Bible because a a father read it to me or a mother read it to me. And it's like, well, have you read it yourselves? Have you dove in and and had the word of God feed into your life? And I think a lot of times, like there's times where literally when I would preach a sermon, there are times where there'd be passages I would preach from. And I would have to be honest with my congregation. This one's hitting me. This one, I'm being very convicted by what I'm preaching right now because I, it's, it's eye-opening for me as I'm working through this and I'm being challenged by it. And I think that's when we read the Bible, it is going to challenge our belief system because sometimes, you know, I, I go back to what John wrote and what Paul wrote. You know, we need to test the spirit, hold on to what's good, reject what is evil. And I think when we have our beliefs, sometimes some of our beliefs may be good sayings, they may be wise sayings, they may even be, I mean, I guess I would say maybe they might be part of church culture, but are they biblical? And more times than not, when you begin to open up the Bible and show people what the Bible actually says. They, they almost have this, they're almost like in this conundrum where they're either like, either I have to change and go, everything that I have believed is wrong and I need to repent and make that change. Or I'm just going to double down on my own beliefs and, you know, forget what the scriptures say. Your yeah. thoughts, Micah. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know,
1: not that I'm like defending the point, the 10th point in this article, but like I think we have to remember as pastors, as leaders, as people who have gone to church our whole lives, as pastors' kids. Um, I think we have to remember too that people back to the conversation about grace, which is one of the earlier conversations that were early on in this article. I think we have to remember to extend grace to people. And I think we have to remember that people, not all churchgoers are churched, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that, you know, Bill and, you know, Bill and Susie that come to church, you know, they, you know, they're older. You know, maybe they're in their mid to late forties. Maybe they have, you know, kids. Maybe they don't, but they've not gone to church their whole life, and they they found Jesus at a late age. Like they can go, they can only go off the assumption of what they know, like a preconceived notion of what they know. And so, um, yeah, I think we have to like go in and show that grace with people. Like people say stuff all the time, and they're always. You know, quick to jump the gun, but at the same time, Scott, they, you know, they may not know. And so they just go off that assumption. So I guess I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, like where, you know, people can proclaim Jesus, people can proclaim to be a Christ follower and and not really know because maybe they're not, maybe they're not churched. Maybe they're not, you know, they've not had the same experience and they go to church just to go to church and, and they're learning on the fly. And so maybe they say something and then they, they realize, you know, down the road that, you know, maybe that's, you know, not um, like, even as the article goes on to say, like in that second paragraph and, you know, for our listeners, we have it pulled up. So, you know, for, for kind of as a reference, but it says mm-hmm. in that last sentence, it says, even to the point of giving up cherished beliefs and doctrines, we have held clear, but now we see as mistaken. Yeah. Like they, 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 they may be, they may be, quote unquote, immature in their faith, but later on in their life, as they've grown in their faith and grown as a Christ follower, they they now see that they may have been arrogant or they may have been mistaken early on in their walk with Jesus. And they're not as churched as they are now. And maybe they are a more mature Christ follower 10 years down the road. And so, you know, it's cool. I think that's, a, I think that's cool to see people grow. Oh, yeah. I think it's cool to see people mature in their faith and realize that early on, like, I can't tell you how many people like, that have come up to my dad over the years in ministry situations where my dad has gone back to churches that he's pastored and he's visited people and they come up to, and they're like, you know, I'm so sorry for the way that I acted while you were here. I was, I was wrong. I was immature. You know, I was younger. I wasn't making the best decisions. I was going through a season of life where things weren't great. And so I don't know, maybe, you know, people have to walk through that stuff. And again, you know, to quote scripture, like people have to work out their own salvation. And if mm-hmm. you're in trembling and it's, absolutely it's, it's like the Bible's a big book, believe it or not. Yeah. It's a big book of a lot of books. Right. And so people may not understand that. Yes. The gospel profound, the gospel is simple, but like old Testament law, new Testament law, you know, we're not living by the Le- Leviticus, you know, law or the old Testament law. You know, it was the point of Jesus and the point of salvation and the point of sacrifice, his sacrifice. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, keeping things simple for us to understand, but like, you know,
0: people may not know that
1: for your listeners. We probably shouldn't, they should, they probably shouldn't start in the book of Leviticus.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't start there. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yep. Well, yeah. So that is the 10 things you should never say to your pastor. So I hope for those of you who are listening, if you are listening to this and you're like, man, you know, there's at least one or two of these I actually have said to my pastor then I suggest you probably should go and apologize to them. <laughs> and I mean, literally, I think you should, but I think also this is a good keystone that, you know, like Micah said, you know, pastors have it hard and you don't really know everything that a pastor does. And I don't think any lay person in the church really, even a lay leader probably has no clue everything that a pastor does. I know, at least a couple of churches I've pastored, I don't think everybody in that church knew exactly what I did. I'm sure there's probably people at the churches you served, Mike, that they had no clue everything that you did, too, until you're gone, and then they realize, oh, crap, they sure did a lot. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. but um, Micah, again, thank you for uh, kind of showing me this article. This has been a great discussion and to discuss about this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anytime.
0: Yep. Hey guys, again, thank you so much for listening to the Scott Stemmen Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please like and share and subscribe to uh, our channels. You can find us on any podcast server out there. Also, if you would like to support the podcast, you can go to my uh, Ko-fi account, ko-fi.com slash the Scott Stemmen Podcast. Uh, You can be a one-time donor or you can be a subscriber with a bunch of cool perks there. You can go to that website and check it out. Um, And then again, anything you give goes to help the improvement of our podcast. So guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you guys uh, next week. Bye.